All right, good evening, everyone. Let's, uh, let's begin. So it's an incredible privilege to be able to focus a little bit in overwhelming and beautiful and meaningful and holy preparation for the Yamim Noraim. We know that we've spoken about many times that the only way to glean maximum ex- meaning from any life experience is preparation. Without preparation, the beautiful moments and fantastic moments of life kind of come and go. And by the time I even really understand or appreciate what it is that I have in front of me, the moment has already passed me by. But if we take the time to prepare, we take the time to contemplate, we take the time to understand, then hopefully as the beautiful moments of Yamim Noraim course through our Nishamas, we will be able to take full advantage of the incredible days that are ahead of us. So I want to actually begin with something that, that I really, it's been bothering me for a very long time, but this year Bakshim has given me the opportunity to really focus on it a little bit and hopefully try to cultivate an approach that will pave a way towards a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. Let's begin with number one on the sheet. So the, Gimaris, the Mishnah in Mesechas Rosh Hashanah says as follows, and it's a famous Mishnah. The Mishnah writes, prakim ha'olam nidom. The world is judged at four different times. There are four different intervals of judgment throughout the year. The Pesach ala Tvua, Pesach were judged for how much grain, how much wheat the world is going to go ahead and produce. Ba'atzeres on Shavuos, we are judged al Pero Sa'ilon, how much fruit the trees are going to produce. I'm going to skip a little bit. Obechag nidonen al hamayim. Sukis, we are judged for water. So on the most basic level, interestingly enough, all three of the regalim, all three of the regalim are judgment days. So Pesach, I'm judged for wheat. Shavuos, I'm judged for fruit of the tree. Sukis, I'm judged for rainfall. And of course, then the Mishnah adds in over here, the Rosh Hashanah. What about what happens on Rosh Hashanah? Kol ba'e olam ovrim lefan of kibbenei maran. What happens on Rosh Hashanah? Kol ba'e olam. This is very important. Rosh Hashanah is not just a yamta for Klal Yisrael. Rosh Hashanah is a day of dramatic importance for all mankind. And what happens on Rosh Hashanah? All of the inhabitants of the world, Ovrim Lefanov Kibnei Maron, come before Hashem like Bnei Maron. What does Bnei Maron mean? So again, this is actually a three-way machlokis in the Gemara as to what exactly it means. Again, the classic interpretation is that it's a reference to sheep. And the imagery, the metaphor is that the same way that when the shepherd had a flock of sheep, there's a concept of Meiser Behema, that you have to tithe your animals. So how would the shepherd tithe his animals? He would go and he would corral them. There'd be a small opening where only one sheep could get out at a time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Sheep number 10. The shepherd would be standing there with a little red paintbrush. He'd put a little bit of red paint. That's the meiser animal. That's the tithing animal. The imagery that the Mishnah is trying to create is that whereas throughout the rest of the year, throughout the rest of the year, we as Jews find safety in numbers. That's how we operate, safety in numbers. Attach yourself to a kihila. Attach yourself to a tzibor. The whole concept of tefillah b'tzibor, of davening with a group. Why do we daven? The chashmaruch could hear the tefillahs, whether I daven with a group or daven by myself. Because there's a recognition that when I daven with a group, I have the ability to tap into the merits of the group. Because perhaps I need something in life. I don't possess the requisite merits for Hashem to grant that request. I, 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 I what's the word? Embed myself with the group, so hopefully if I don't have the requisite merits, I could glean the merits from the group. But Rosh Hashanah is different. What happens in Rosh Hashanah? There's no safety in numbers. 
No, I don't mean that it's unsafe. In other words, the whole dynamic of Rosh Hashanah is everyone comes before HaKadosh Baruch Hu as an individual. I'm not a member of a family. I'm not a member of a shul. I'm not a member of a community. I'm not even a member of Am Yisrael. On Rosh Hashanah, I come before Hashem, just me. Just me. Interestingly enough, what's missing from the Mishnah? What's missing from the Mishnah? If you notice, the Mishnah is missing a degree of symmetry, right? Remember again, let's talk about this just a moment. If you write, the Mishnah gives me four new years, four new years, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot. So Pesach, what's the new year on Pesach? Pesach, new year for what? Week. Now, by the way, if you look at the wording of the Mishnah, the Mishnah says on four times a year, the world is judged. On Pesach, about wheat. On Shavuos, about fruit. On Sukkot, about water. And what happens on Rosh Hashanah? What happens on Rosh Hashanah? It doesn't say what happens on Rosh Hashanah. In other words, the Mishnah doesn't say we're judged. Right? In other words, Mishnaic symmetry would have said, on Pesach, I'm judged for wheat. On Shavuos, I'm judged for fruit. On Sukkot, I'm judged for water. And on Rosh Hashanah, I'm judged for? This is everyone's first Rosh Hashanah. Right? Rosh Hashanah, I'm judged for life. For life, that, that would have been the Mishnaic symmetry. But interestingly enough, the Mishnah doesn't say that. All the Mishnah says is what happens on Rosh Hashanah, everyone comes before Hashem. So the truth is, when we read that Mishnah, we read it as everyone comes before Hashem one by one for what purpose? For what purpose? Judgment. But isn't it striking that the Mishnah doesn't say it? The Mishnah makes no reference to Rosh Hashanah as a day of judgment. It simply refers to Rosh Hashanah as a day in which we pass before the Ribbono Shal Olam. Now you have to understand, in the formulation of the Mishnah, Chazal, the rabbis were very specific with their wording. Right? Obviously, the Ribbono Shal Olam is very specific in his wording of the Torah. That's why, again, we glean many ideas by an extra word, an omitted word, an extraneous word. But the truth is, the Mishnah is kind of the same way. Chazal were very careful with their wording. So why is it that if Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, why is that omitted from the verbiage of the Mishnah? So I want to show you something amazing. Take a little bit of a detour. If we look at the Torah reading, Kriyasa Torah, for the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the section number two. Vashem Hashem Amar. Hashem remembered Sari Imenu for pregnancy. This is the Torah reading of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Why is this the Torah reading of the first day of Rosh Hashanah? Why is this, why is this day number one? Because remember again, the Gemara says, Rosh Hashanah, Nifkida, Sara, Rachel, and Leah. We'll come back to this in just a little bit. But Sara, Rachel, and Leah, three out of the four emos, three out of the four matriarchs were barren, suffered from chronic infertility. And therefore, again, the Gemara says, they were all remembered for pregnancy on Rosh Hashanah. So therefore, again, we go ahead and we read this particular section, Vashem Pakarasara, Hashem remembered Sari Menu to give her a child. We read this on Rosh Hashanah. Beautiful. There's only one problem. You'll follow through the Kriyasa Torah on Rosh Hashanah, and you'll notice that there's a whole other section that's included. Take a look at number three. The after, after the Torah tells about the miraculous birth of Yitzchak, the celebration surrounding Yitzchak's birth, the beautiful party thrown when Yitzchak was weaned, after all of that, the Torah launches into number three. Vatomali Avram, Garej Nesa Amah Hazos Vi Espinah, 
So what happens? Next section. Sarah turns to Avram and says, Avram, you have to expel Yishmael from the home. You have to expel Yishmael from the home. What's Avram Binu's reaction? What's his reaction? Avram was very upset. You have to understand. Avram Avinu was all about bringing people close to Hashem. That, that was his entire life, is taking people who were theologically hostile and somehow winning them over. And now his wife, his beloved Sarah, is telling him to kick Yishmael out of the house. It's totally antithetical to the way Avram Avinu thinks, totally antithetical to the way he's lived his life. But of course, the Ribbono Shal Olam intervenes, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, Kol asher tomar elecha Sarah, shma bekola. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Sarah knows what she's talking about. She's a smart woman. She is tasked with building the Jewish people through Yitzchak. Whatever she tells you to do, do it. And then the story goes on. We know how the story ends. Avram expels Yishmael together with his mother Hagar. Yishmael has a near-death experience, almost dies of thirst in the desert, miraculously saved by angelic intervention. Incredible story. But what's the question? What's the question? Why is it part of Kriya Satora on Rosh Hashanah? In other words, I understand the first part. Vashem Pakara Sarah, source number two. I got it. Sari Imenu was remembered for pregnancy on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day in which the whole year, Chesh Baruch Hu decides all different kinds of things on Rosh Hashanah. So it makes sense. Sari Imenu was remembered for pregnancy on Rosh Hashanah. Therefore, read this section. But why read the story of Yishmael? What does it have to do with Rosh Hashanah? There is a gripping medrash, and I probably end up quoting this medrash at least one year every year over the course of Yamim Noraim. Because to me, it is one of the most gripping midrashim in the entire Torah. So I just want to point out, at the end of number three, that's where the Yishmael story ends. Yishmael is expelled from the house, has the near-death experience, angelic intervention, and that's it. The truth is, I take it back. We do hear of Yishmael one more time. When do we hear about him? After Avram dies, at the end of Parashas Chayisara, the Torah says, Vayikbaru oso Yitzchak v'Yishmael banav. Yishmael comes back for the Levaya, for the funeral of Avram Avinu. So we hear about him once more. But pretty much number three is the end of the Yishmael story. The Medrash says, no, it's not. Watch this medrash. I promise you, if you've heard this before, one of my shiurim, you'll enjoy the chazara. If you've never heard it, your life is about to change. Look at the medrash writes, for Aleph, Shalach Yishmael. So Yishmael, right? Amravinu expels Yishmael from the home. Yishmael married a Moabite woman. The medrash, the medrash includes here a piece of information that the Torah does not tell us. After three years, after three years, Avraham wanted to see his son. He wanted to see Yishmael. So the Medrash says, Sari Minu was very much against it. She didn't want Avraham to go see Yishmael. And there, there was a good reason. Avraham, Yishmael is not your future. He's not your future. I know you love him. I know he's your son. But Yitzchak is your future. Don't spend time. Don't invest emotional energy in Esav. It's not going to be good for you. What's the compromise they reached? A fascinating compromise. Avram was allowed to go see Yishmael, 
but he was not permitted to go ahead and dismount his camel. You could go, you could say hello, right? But you can't go in. You can't go inside. You can't sit down with him. You can't get off the camel, okay? Avram accepts. He goes to visit Yishmael. He meets Yishmael's wife, his daughter-in-law, who he never knew. Avram asks Yishmael's wife, where's Yishmael? Oh, Yishmael's out with his mother. They went to go ahead and collect fruit, dates from the desert. So Avram Avinu says, okay. Avram says to his daughter, she doesn't know who he is. He says, can I have a little bit of bread and water? I'm tired from the journey. And she says to him, she says to him, we have nothing here to offer you. Nothing here, right? The antithesis of Abraham in a kindness. So Avram Avinu leaves a message and he says to Yishmael's wife, the end of paragraph Aleph, Tell Yishmael that an old man from Kinan came to see him. Tell him that an old man from Kinan came to see him and leave him the following message. Tell him that the old man said, change the doorpost, change your doorway. Now change your doorway, doorway, right? There's a Gemara that says that a wife is called a home. A wife is called a home, right? Because a wife very much sets the tone for the entire family life. When, when Avram Avinu leaves a message for Yishmael, change the doorway. He essentially was telling to Yishmael, this is not the woman for you. A woman who doesn't possess at least basic human kindness, this is not the wife for you. Paragraph Aleph ends, Yishmael comes back. What happened? So Yishmael comes back. His wife tells him what happened. The haven Yishmael, Yishmael realized what happened. He realized that the old man from Canaan was his father. And he realized, he understood what the message was. He married another woman whose name was Fatima. Fatima was her name. Okay. Paragraph Bays. Watch this. Another three years go by. Avram Vinu has a yearning to see his son Yishmael. Once again, Sari Menu says, you can't go. What's the compromise? What's the compromise? You could go. You can't get off the camel. So he swears to her. He swears to her. I won't get off the camel. Fine. He arrives at Yishmael's home in the middle of the day. Second line, paragraph Beis. So ultimately, again, so he comes, shows up. He says to find there's another, another woman there. Where is Yishmael? Amralo. So the wife says, right? Yishmael's wife says, Amralo. Oh, he went with his mother to go ahead and pasture the donkey on the, the, the camels in the desert. Amralo. Avram says to his daughter-in-law, can you give me a little bit of bread and water? I'm tired. So this wife gave Avram Avinu bread and water. So look how the story ends. See, Avram Avinu came and all he wanted was to see his son. Twice in six years, he's come to see Yishmael. And twice in six years, he's missed Yishmael. He's missed Yishmael. He stands by the entrance of Yishmael's tent and he davens to the Ribbono Shal Olam on behalf of his son. V'nesmale, beso shal Yishmael mikoltuv mimina brachas. 
and Yishmael's home became filled with every type of blessing. When Yishmael came home, so what happened? Yishmael comes home. His wife says, listen, I don't know what to tell you. Some old guy from Canaan came. He wouldn't get off his camel. He asked for you. I told him you were out. He davened by the entranceway of the tent. I gave him a little bit of bread and water. He davened by the entranceway of the tent. And now our whole home is filled with such blessing. And look how the magic ends. The Yada Yishmael, Yishmael no. She'ad achshav rachame aviv alav kirachim avabanim. And in that moment, Yishmael became abundantly aware of something amazing. My father loves me so much. My father loves me so much. I might not have been the son he dreamt of. I might not have actualized the way he had intended. I am not going to be the one who perpetuated his legacy. But my father loves me nevertheless. Because a father's love for a child is an unconditional love. A father's love for a child is not based on accomplishment. A father's love for a child is not based on following in footsteps. A father's love for a child is for the simple reason that you are my child. And in that moment, in that moment, even though Yishmael missed his father two times in six years, he felt enveloped by the love of his father. This is why we read this section on Rosh Hashanah. We read the first part of Hashem Pakara Sarah because Sarah Imenu was remembered for pregnancy on Rosh Hashanah. And we read the story of Yishmael. Why? To remind us that even if I'm a Yishmael, maybe I am that Yishmael. Maybe I am that son who has disappointed my father. Maybe I am. A lot of times in life I am. I am that child who has not lived up to expectations. I am that child who has not come through. I am that child who is not actualizing his potential. I am that child who refuses to listen. I am that child who refuses to mend his ways. But despite all of that, my father still loves me. Despite all of my wrong, despite all of my missteps, despite maybe that I've made myself into a Yishmael, if an Avram Avinu could love a Yishmael unconditionally, then just imagine how much the Ribbono Shal Olam loves us. And I think this is the Pshat of the Mishnah. It dawned on me this year for the first time. Rosh Hashanah is not really a day of judgment. Now hold on, before I think I'm an Apikores, right? What I mean is like this. The judgment is not an ends. The judgment is a means. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want with us more than anything? An audience. What does a parent want with a child more than anything? Just time with my child. Just time together. See, you know, like in human relationships, in human relationships, the one good thing is when, when do you know you're going to go out and get time with your child? Every parent is, when are you going to get time with your child? When they need something. Someone whispered it, right? When they need something. Oh, they need something. Oh, suddenly they're over, right? They need something. Oh, you, you need this, you need that. Every parent knows when the child needs something, but when they don't need something, maybe they'll call a little bit less, visit a little bit less when they need something. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu summons us to judgment. Do you know why? Because He wants to see us. He summons us to judgment because for years He's been showing up and we're not there. He summons us to judgment because like Avram Avinu, He comes by our tent every single day and we never have time for Him. We're always out. We're always busy. We're always preoccupied. So how does the king of kings get his children to come home? Judgment. Oh, judgment. Judgment. Life and death. Parnasa. Health. Shiduchim. Children. Now, God. Now, Father, you have my attention. Now you have my attention. And that's why the Mishnah says that what happens on Rosh Hashanah? Kol olam ovrim moro. You see, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is not the judgment. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is the communion with God. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is that the Ribbono Shal Olam is always tired of missing me whenever he shows up. And I'm tired of missing him because he came by and I was out. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is that I have two days. One day comes two days. Two days to be in the presence of my father. But how does my father keep me in his presence? We superimpose the concept of din. Moshe makes it a day of judgment. Because it's a day of judgment, he knows that he has my attention. He knows that I'll be there. He knows that I'm not going to check out. He knows that I'm not going to be preoccupied. He knows that I'm not going to have other things on the agenda. The day of judgment is not an ends. It's a means to bring us before him. And that's why the Mishnah makes no mention of Yom Haddin by Rosh Hashanah. How does the Mishnah describe Rosh Hashanah? This is the day, Kol Ba'ei Olam Ovrim of Kibnei Moro. And herein lies the beauty of Rosh Hashanah. It's spending two days with your father. It's just spending two days with the Ribbono Shalom. If you think about it, what do we have to do on Rosh Hashanah? What do you have to do? Right? What's the avod of Rosh Hashanah? What do you have to do? So, it's, right, the reflex reaction is tshuva. Is Rosh Hashanah a day of tshuva? No. Remember again, think about it for just a moment. And Rosh Hashanah, what do you have? Malchios, Zichronos, Shofaros. Those are the primary parts of tefillah. There's no slichos on Rosh Hashanah. There's no ashamnu, bagadnu, gazan. There's no vidu, there's no confession on Rosh Hashanah. There's none of that. So where's the tshuva? Where's the tshuva? The most maybe you have, interesting enough, is like tashlich. Tashlich. And even tashlich is not a halacha necessarily. Tashlich is more of a minog. You can only say tashlich on Rosh Hashanah. You can say to Shemini Atzeres. Hoshan Rabbah, if you're a chassid up until Hanukkah. Right, so again, there's time. There's time. So Rosh Hashanah is not really even a day of tshuva. The entire essence of Rosh Hashanah is just to be in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Can you imagine how HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels? You know, it's interesting because we think, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Ribbon Shalom doesn't have feelings. Now the truth is the Ribbon Shalom doesn't have feelings. That's true. But if we become a bit anthropomorphic for just a moment, we attribute human, human qualities to HaKadosh Baruch Hu all of the time. And it helps us. The Ribbon Shalom does not, doesn't have feelings like you and I have feelings. But there must be something when Hashem shows up at the threshold of my life wanting to spend time with me and I'm out. 
always out and I'm always busy and I'm just never available. Avram Avinu knew what that felt, but yet Avram Avinu was still able to make his son feel loved even though they were unable to have their paths cross. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, just come and spend some time with me. I'm going to make you spend time with me because I'm going to call it a day of judgment, but just come and spend time with me. And herein lies the beautiful essence of Rosh Hashanah. You know, I, I always laugh a little bit, and obviously I'm probably a little bit biased when people speak about the length of shul, the length of shul. Shul's too long, shul's too short. I always have like a very simple answer, like, where are you going? Right? Where, 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 where else do you have to be? What else do you have to do? You get hungry? Okay, you could bring a little snack, right? You know, it's, where, where, where are you going? What else do you have to do today except to spend time with your father? And most of us know, most of us know, I'm not going to end up spending the same quality time with my father sitting on the couch in the living room than I do here in my mikdash ma'at, in my miniature base mikdash. Where am I going? The beauty of Rosh Hashanah is there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to be. If you think about it, if I even think about it, right? What are the mitzvot of Rosh Hashanah? What are the, what's the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah? Shofar. Shofar. For 99.999% of the population, shofar is a passive mitzvah. What do I do? What do I do? Nothing. I just sit and I keep my ears and my soul open. That's it. That's it. Only the Baltokea. He's huffing, he's puffing, he's bad. Okay. The rest of us just have to sit there and listen. Because the entire essence of this sacred day is just come and bask in the presence of your father. You've been missing each other the whole year. He's coming, you're going, I'm going, he's coming. Great, two days. Two days. We're just going to be together. Which then creates the fundamental question. So what should we do with this time together? What should we do with this time together? How should we spend it? So if we have two days together with our Father, where there is nothing else to do but spend time, that's great, that's beautiful, but how do I maximize the experience? So I'd like to suggest three different things that we could do, three different avodos for us to focus on during our quality time with the Ribbon Shalom. Take a look at number five. I quoted this Gemara outside before the Gemara says, Rosh Hashanah, Nifkida, Sara, Rachel, Vachana. And Rosh Hashanah, remember again the Imos, with the exception of Leah, right? Leah was the only one who did not struggle with sustained fertility. Infertility, excuse me. It seems like maybe she had a little bit in the beginning, right? But again, she was the only one. Baruch Hashem was incredibly, incredibly fertile. Baruch Hashem, many children. So Rosh Hashanah, Sara, Rachel and Chana are remembered for children. What's the common denominator between Sarah, Rachel, and Chana? They were all courageous women who had incredible life vision. If you ask Sarah Imenu, Sarah Imenu, what do you want to do with your life? What do I do with my life? I want to build a Jewish nation. And by the way, she was so committed to that vision that when she thought she couldn't have children, what did she suggest to Avram? What did she suggest him? Marry Hagar. I want to be clear. It was not Avram's idea to marry Hagar. In fact, Yenabe Soloveitchik points out that as far as Armavinu was concerned, 
if he wasn't going to have children with Sarah, so be it. So be it. Aaron had absolutely no intention of taking another wife. It was Sarah who told him, you need to marry Hagar. Why? Because Sarah Imenu was committed to a vision. Rachel Imenu was the same way, right? Rachel Imenu understands that Yaakov Avinu, again, is part of the chain. And in fact, he's the last and strongest link in the chain. Aaron Avinu was called the Bechir Sheva Avos, the best of the forefathers. And Rachel Imenu understood that it was her sacred task to take a nation of individuals and build it into a nation of class. And whatever had to be done, whether it was giving her husband ultimately to her sister or whatever else, Rachel Imenu, the incredible Messias Nefesh, Chana, Chana, we read the story of Chana on the first day of that Torah, the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. What does Chana want more than anything? More than anything? A child. And why does Chana want a child? You see, people want children for different reasons. If Shanshnofar Hirsch says that the reason why people often just naturally want children is because what man wants more than anything is immortality. Right? Immortality, not going to happen. Having a child is the closest thing to immortality. Because what does that mean? Even after I die, there's a piece of me that continues. When you look at having children through that lens, it's very what? It's very selfish. Very selfish. It's about me. It's about me. Why did Chana want a child? You could tell why Chana wanted a child. Because she wanted to bring another generation of Ovdeh Hashem. Chana didn't raise her child. Chana has Shmuel. And then as soon as he is weaned, as soon as he's no longer nursing, he is dropped off at the Mishkan. And he is raised in the charge of Eli HaKohen. And Chana sees him a couple of times a year when she comes up with her family to the Mishkan. Chana didn't want a child because she was looking for immortality. Chana wanted a child because she was a woman of vision. So when the Gemara tells us that Sarah, Rachel, Chana are remembered on Rosh Hashanah, it's not just the Pshat that on Rosh Hashanah is determined who's going to have children. But it tells us ultimately that Rosh Hashanah is a day ultimately to imagine the life I want for myself. Rosh Hashanah is a day of vision. I would ask you the following question. If you were to close your eyes, could you imagine, can you imagine your ideal life? Now, if you say yes, and I see it now, I'm sitting on a beach chair and there's a drink with an umbrella in it. That's called a vacation. That, that's not called a vision for life, right? right? I mean, if you close your eyes, can you see a vision for your life? Right? said, if you paint for me the picture of what you want your life to be like, I'll help you make it happen. Could we actually paint that picture? Can I paint a picture of the kind of person I actually would like to be? Can I paint a picture of the kind of family I really want to raise? Can I paint a picture of the type of marriage I'd ideally like to have? Can I paint a picture of the type of Jew I want to be? And it's amazing, often the answer is no, because we're so busy, we're so busy getting through the day that we forget ultimately that to be successful in life, you have to have a life vision. Because if I don't know who I want to be, what I want to be, what I want to build, then how do I know if I'm going in the right direction? Rosh Hashanah is a day. There's a reason why davening is. I have a little secret for you. A little secret for you. 
Chazal did not expect you to say all of davening. They didn't expect it. That's why not all of davening is obligatory. There's a whole lot of piyutim in there, a whole lot of supplemental things. So if the rabbis did not expect me to say the entire davening, why put it in there? Because do you know what Chazal want us to do? Not not off, right? Not, I always find it humorous. Like everybody becomes like a voracious reader during Musaf and Rosh Hashanah, right? If it doesn't move, I'm going to read it. Whatever it is, it's the bulletin from 17 weeks ago, but I think I missed. I'm at a yard site. Suddenly I get, right? Stop. Stop distracting yourself. You see, we're so scared to think. We're so scared to do what we're supposed to do. What's your life vision? What's your vision for yourself? Rosh Hashanah of the day, Rosh Hashanah of the day, that I am alone with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the day when I am supposed to create and forge for myself the ideal vision of what I want my life to look like. Now again, to be clear, does that mean that vision is going to actualize? That mean that's how it's going to play out? Not necessarily, one thing is for sure. If you don't have a vision, it for sure won't happen. If perhaps you have a vision, perhaps you have a bit of imagination, perhaps you have the courage to create a vision for your life, maybe it'll happen. And if it doesn't happen in totality, at least it'll happen in some of But we're scared of this. If you take a look at number six, I'll show you something amazing. The Pasuk says, and we just read it a few weeks ago, Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking about the man. And in the man he says, Literally translated, he afflicted you and let you go hungry and gave you the man. The way Moshe Rabbeinu describes the man sounds like what? Sounds like what? It was such a difficult thing, right? It was such a difficult thing. Man, man was great, right? Zero trans fat, right? Zero carbs, right? Nothing. Could taste like whatever you want, however you want. You could even get it with as many hechsherim as you want on it, right? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu is describing the man Ultimately, again, he afflicted you and let you... What's the afflictive nature of man? And the Lubavitch Rebbe number seven, we'll do this outside, says something amazing. The man was difficult for the Jewish people. Do you know why the man was difficult? Because do you know what you needed in order to activate the power of man? Do you know what you needed? Imagination. You needed imagination. You see, sometimes people just like getting a loaf of bread. Do you know why? Because the good part about getting a loaf of bread, what's the good part about a loaf of bread? I know what it is. I know what it is. I know how it's going to taste. I know that it's going to fill me up. It's predictable. It's no. Man requires imagination. Now you have to think about, well, what do I want to eat today? What, what, what do I want it to be like? What do I want it to taste like? Do I want to go for what I know? Try something new? And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says something amazing. The Jewish people were pained by the need to have to use imagination. See, we don't like to imagine what our lives could be like. We don't like to imagine it. Because if I have to imagine what my life could be like, that opens the door. That the reality that could be something much greater than what it is now. Why do you think, you know, I'm not a big believer. Sometimes people like to make it that technology is like the source of all of Claudia Israel's problems. I don't believe that to be the case. I think it's a challenge. But you know what the greatest challenge of technology is? And this is true if you have filters, you don't... The greatest challenge of technology, and why do people love it so much? It's a distraction. I don't have to think, right? Think about this. For the last week, for the last week, all I had to do was watch the Queen's Leviah, right? It was great. It was great, right? There's this, there's that. It's fascinating. Pomp, circumstance, right? Incredible things. 
the great part about technology, I'm not talking about kosher technology, believe me, there's plenty with kosher tech. It's distract, and distractions are great. Distractions are so good because when I'm distracted, I don't have to think. And when I'm distracted, more importantly, I don't have to imagine. I don't have to imagine what my life could be like. I don't have to imagine who I could be. I don't have to imagine it. I could just lose myself in a sea of distraction. That's great. But comes Rosh Hashanah, two days before my father. My father wants me to spend time with him. And the first thing he tells me is, Shefala, now that we're here together, spend a little time stoking your imagination. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? What's the life you want to lead? Family you want to build? What are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Do you want a life of mediocrity? Or do you want something a little bit better? Do you want to always just get by? Or do you want to push yourself a little bit further? The first step of the Avodah of Rosh Hashanah is to use a little bit of imagination and specifically, imagine the life I want for myself. Because if I could emerge from Rosh Hashanah with that vision, that vision becomes my guiding light for what I want to accomplish in the year ahead. Second Avodah. If you take a look at number eight, this is one of my favorite pieces by Rabbi Nachman. And Rabbi Nachman says so beautifully, the Rebbe actually, it starts a little bit towards the middle. Just a little bit towards the middle. Almost like a two, four, six, eight, nine lines up from the end of number eight. Let me just give you the outside context. Rabbi Nachman is talking about the, the ineffectiveness of prayer without kavana. There was exactly the idea, if a person davens without kavana, davens without concentration, without kavana, that tefillah does not ascend. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It kind of just stays here with me. So the Rebbe says, well, based on that, what would you say? What would you say? That if you don't have kavana, what should you do? Or what shouldn't you do? Don't daven. In other words, I got it. I could, I could accept that premise. That a tefillah without kavana, if you could imagine, it's like a bird without wings. So the bird, the bird, what does the bird without wings do? Not that much. It stays in the nest. So a tefillah without kavana comes out of my mouth and it kind of just hovers around me. Just, it, just, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't ascend. So says the Rebbe, lest you think, therefore, that means that don't daven if you don't have kavana. Look what the Rebbe says. He says, Afalpi came. Al yomar adam came. A person should never say, if I don't have kavana, I'm not going to daven. Elo yispal al-tamid. Daven anyway. And the Rebbe says something amazing. Why? Because at some point in time, you're going to have a good tefillah. You're going to have a good prayer. Now listen to what Rabbi Nachman says. The moment you have one powerful tefillah, that tefillah with kavana lifts up all of the other tefillahs along with it. All you need is one tefillah with kavana to lift up all of the other tefillos without wings. Or in other words, what the Rebbe is almost trying, I think the metaphor almost is like this. You know, sometimes a person has a blockage in their pipes. Right? You have a blockage in your pipe. So what happens when you have a blockage in your pipe? Right? Stuff is going down the drain and it keeps backing up, backing up, backing up, backing up. So nothing's going anywhere. But the moment you remove the blockage, what happens? Everything flows. Everything moves. The Rebbe says sometimes it happens in spirituality as well. I'm doing things, but there's no heart. There's no hearts. There's no heart in it. 
there's no warmth kind. There's, there's, there's no warmth. There's no fire. There's no passion. There's no excitement. There's no kavana. So the Rebbe says, what happens with mitzvahs? What happens with tefillos like that? The truth is, they're just kind of stuck in the pipes. They don't go anywhere. But all you need is one tefillah with kavana. All you need is one mitzvah with kavana, something with wings that removes the blockage and takes everything with it. Look what the Baal Shem Tev writes in number nine. He says, So the Rebbe points out there, the same idea. Or Rabbi Nachman is quoting the same as the Baal Shem Tev. Sometimes when I just don't have kavana, my tefillos just don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. But look what Bashamda writes. But if a person davens on Rosh Hashanah with Kavana, Ma'ala kol hatfilos shall kol hashana. If you daven on Rosh Hashanah with Kavana, the tfilos of Rosh Hashanah take with them all of the tfilos throughout the year. All of those tfilos that I daven without proper concentration or Kavana, that have just been hovering in this world. All it takes is one tefillah with kavana and Rosh Hashanah to bring them up. And the Baal Shem Tov says, Shachris l'shachris, mincha l'mincha. Davin shachris with kavana and Rosh Hashanah, and you will uplift, you will uplift all of those shachrises that you daven throughout the year, just moving your lips with absolutely no kavana, no heart. Davin one mincha with kavana and Rosh Hashanah, and you will take everything. So the truth is, it happens to be a beautiful idea just by itself. Just by itself. How Rosh Hashanah has the ability and the power to redeem an entire year's worth of tefillos. Because there's none of us who always davens with kavana. There's no one of us who is always davening with the right concentration. And again, that's just the nature of tefillah. It's hard day in and day out, right? Unless a person is in crisis mode, we often don't necessarily, we don't, often don't daven with kavana. Great, just get it right on Rosh Hashanah. And if I get it right on Rosh Hashanah, it takes everything with it, but on a deeper level. What the Bashan Rabbi Nachman are teaching us is, you know what Rosh Hashanah is about? The avodah of Rosh Hashanah is identify your blockage. Identify your blockage. Because all of us have a blockage. We all do. We all have that thing that is stuck in our personalistic pipes. Right? We all have that thing that's causing the backup. That thing is different for different people. For some people, their blockage is insecurity. For other people, their blockage is arrogance, which is just the other, it's the same side of the coin as, as insecurity. Some ultimately, again, it's shattered dreams. Some, it's pain. Some, it's unrealized aspirations. We all have our blockage. And what we don't realize is that blockage is holding back everything else. Who amongst us doesn't have a blockage. And this is not a gastrointestinal question, right? In other words, who amongst us doesn't have a life blockage, doesn't have a behavior, a mida, an attitude, a character trait, a negative toxic relationship that is holding us? It's a, I know it. I know it. It's there. It's a blockage. It's stuck in my pipes and it's preventing everything else from going through. Says the Vashem Tavakadosh. Says Rabbi Nachman, the avodah of Rosh Hashanah is identify your blockage and get rid of it. And get rid of it. I will say, how do you get rid of your blockage? How do you get rid of your blockage? 
So it's very simple. Most times in life, you just have to stop it. You just have to stop. You know, the Rambam writes, I've mentioned this many times, the Rambam writes in Hilchos Deos, he speaks about character traits. And he discusses the idea that there are certain character traits. Rambam, in general, the Maimodian approach is, Derech always find the middle path. But the Rambam writes that there are certain character traits that are so corrosive and so destructive that a person shouldn't have any of them, any, even a little bit. An example that Rambam gives is anger. Anger is so negative, so corrosive. Don't, don't have any element of anger. I so the Rambam says, so what happens if a person says, well, I just have a bad temper. I have a bad temper. So what, what's the Rambam's advice you're dealing with a bad temper? It's incredible, deep and profound. The Rambam says, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop getting angry. Really? That, that, that's what you got? Right? Stop it. You know, at least let me lay down on the couch. Tommy's charged me $250 an hour. Right? Tommy's a little bit more profound. Stop it. And what a profound piece of Maimodian advice. You know, so many times we have challenges, like we have blockages. And we're thinking like, what do I need to do to get over my blockage? And how do I need to this? And strategy, I'm going to talk to this one and get a bracha from that one and say nishma 77 times in an hour, and, which is great, which is fantastic. All great things, right? All wonderful things. All these things. Stop it. Stop it. Sometimes I just have to stop it. You're angry at someone? Stop being angry. You're angry at yourself? Stop being angry. You have bad traits? Stop behaving that way. You do something negative? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Sometimes that's the answer. Not everything is complex. And not everything needs professional intervention. And not everything needs a rabbi or a rebbe or a rav or a makubal or this or that. Sometimes you just have to take the reins of your own life. Be a big girl, a big boy, and stop it. The difference is, too often we don't want to stop it. Because for whatever the reason, we get used to the blockage. We just get used to the blockage. Now, by the way, imagine for a moment, you have a blockage in the pipe underneath your kitchen sink. The plumber comes and the plumber says, you know, there's a blockage, we have to get rid of it. And you say, you know, the truth is, the blockage has been there for a week. We've kind of bonded a little bit. You know, this blockage now is like part of the family. You know, it's been in the sink for a week, right? I'm used to cleaning up the schmutz when it bubbles back up. You know, you know, Maybe just, I, I think it's all right. Maybe just leave it. So what? It sounds crazy when you describe the kitchen sink. Yet we do this with our own lives all of the time. I know what the blockage is. I have the blockage. Often I've had the same blockage for years. But for whatever reason, I'm just unwilling to let it go. So I just keep pouring stuff down the sink, right? And then I'm surprised when stuff bubbles up. When I can't move my life forward. When nothing goes through the pipes, no advancement, I'm stuck in place, I can't move my life forward, and I'm shocked. Why am I shocked? Nothing gets through the pipes when there's a blockage. Says the Valshant of Akalish and Rabbi Nachman, the Avod of Rosh Hashanah is identify your blockage in two simple words. Stop it. You have the power to, 9.9 9 out of 10 times, we have the power to remove our own blockages. We just have to make a decision to do so. It's true in tefillah. One tefillah with kavana uplifts, uplifts everything else. And one decision to finally rid myself of my life blockages opens up the pipes and there's no telling what I could accomplish. The last avod, with this I'll conclude. The Pasuk says also in Dvarim, This is Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Klal Yisrael. Ultimately, again, about the breaking of the Luchos. Moshe Rabbeinu was describing 
when he came down from Har Sinai, he was holding the luchos in his hands. And again, he saw that they built the golden calf and he threw down, he smashed, he smashed the tablets. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe notes something very interesting. The Rebbe says, if you look at, just look at the passage just a moment in number 10. Ve'etpos b'shnei haluchos, I grabbed onto the two tablets. Ve'ashlichim and I threw them down. and I broke them. The Rebbe points out there's an extra, there's an extra word in that passage. What's your extra word? What's your extra word? Ve'etpos. What do you mean I grasped the two tablets? Moshe was already holding them. In other words, what it sounds like almost is that Moshe Rabbeinu is coming down the mountain, right? The tablets are on the ground. He sees the eagle. He lifts them up. He throws them down. He was already holding them. He was coming down with them in his hands, in his hands. So why does the Pasuk have to say, I grabbed the tablets and threw them down? It's a good question. It's a good question. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says something absolutely amazing. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu had no right to break the Ribono Shal Olam's tablets. No one has the right to break God's tablets. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? The etpos is the moment that Moshe Rabbeinu took the tablets as his own. I grabbed onto them and I made them mine. And once I made them mine, then I had the right to break them. And says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you learn from here a very important lesson. You can only break something that is yours. You can only break something that is yours. And this lesson is profound on a variety of levels. First of all, it's important in life to know, no one else can break me. Other people could hurt me. Other people could visit pain upon me. Other people could injure me and wound me. But no one else has the ability to break me. Because like the Rebbe says, like Moshe Avinu teaches us, you could only break something that you own. Other people could hurt me terribly, but no one else has the ability to break me. There's only one person who could break me, and that's who? That's me. I can break me. I can break me, and often in life, this is what happens. You know, when we mess up in life, which we all do, and take wrong turns in life, which we all do, and make bad mistakes in life, which we all do. The reflexive reaction human nature is to assign blame to someone else. But the truth is, Moshe Abenu teaches us, no one else could break me but me. So if I'm broken, if I'm broken, that is because I have chosen either to break myself or to allow myself to be broken. But here's the good news. What's the good news? If I can break myself, then I can make myself whole. Like Rabbi Nachman says, if you believe that you can destroy, you have to equally believe that you can build. You see, often the difficulty of Elul, and again, I have a number of these conversations with people, with adults, over the course of Elul and over the course of Yamim Narayim, of people who just, they, they can't stand this time of year. They can't stand it. Now, often it's because of sometimes like when a person's brought up with a sense of dread and awe, not everybody responds to that well. But sometimes the, the, I'll call it lack of excitement or even more than that, a resentment of this time of year is rooted in something much deeper. That I'm really broken. I'm really broken. 
And the truth is, it's painful for me to confront my brogim tight. It's painful for me to confront the fact that I'm not a whole person. During the rest of the year, again, I could hide. Uh, my mother did this. My father did this. My spouse did this. My kids did this. Right? It's good. I could run and I could hide and I could busy and distract myself and blame anyone and everyone. And then comes Elul. Comes the sound of the shofar, the sound of clarity, the sound of Uri Yishin the sound of waking up, the sound of where all the illusions of life go away. And I realize I'm broken, but I broke me. I broke me. To which Rosh Hashanah comes along and reminds us that might be true. Maybe you did break yourself, but if you broke yourself, you could also fix yourself. Part of our avoda during Rosh Hashanah, in our time alone with our Father, is to think about, A, how are we broken? I won't even say if we're broken, because there is no one who is not broken in some way. So not if I'm broken, it's how and where I'm broken. Let me identify the broken areas of my spiritual persona. And then let me figure out how I can fix them. Unless you see that I, I can't fix this, it's too broken. If you broke, it's kind of what we tell our kids, right? What do we tell our kids when they make a mess? Or at least, what do they used to tell their kids? People used to tell their kids when they make a mess. Right? Now they say, don't worry, the cleaning lady's coming tomorrow. Right? So right, what, what, what did parents used to say to their children when they made a mess? They made a mess? Clean it up. That's Chinuch 101. You got yourself into this you get yourself out of it. Certain life lessons are life lessons no matter how old you get. You made the mess. Don't wallow in it. Clean it up. You broke it. You fix it. You undermine yourself. You restore yourself. And if we bring this all together, I think we now emerge with a little bit of a different understanding of Rosh Hashanah. That the entire essence of this day is a day of communion and connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like the Mishnah says, the Mishnah doesn't mention anything about judgment. The Mishnah just simply says, Kol olam ovrim the fun of Maron. Hashem is the Avram Avinu and we are the Yishmael. And too often we're just not connecting. Too often we're just not seeing each other. And I know that my father loves me. And my father knows that I love him, but we're always missing each other. Well, for two days out of the year, we're not going to miss each other. For two days, Yerach Baruch Hu says, come home, be with me. The only way for me to get you is to tell you that I'm judging you. We're going to put an element of judgment in there because that shows you, you have to come home. You have to be here. You have to be attentive. But the beautiful essence, and this is why Rosh Hashanah is a day of simcha. Rosh Hashanah is a day of joy, a day of happiness. You know, we started a couple of years ago that on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, before Mariv, we sing Ivdu as Hashem Besimcha. Ivdu as Hashem Besimcha. And when I started a couple of years ago, I got some serious pushback. Serious pushback. Ivdu as Hashem Besimcha, it's Rosh Hashanah. I said, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I, I didn't say that, I just felt it. Hey, really? Simcha? You don't feel Simcha in Rosh Hashanah? Ain't Simcha Gidolim Mizo. Your father wants you to come home. He made a whole yantim just so you could come home. He made a whole yontiv just so you'll be with him. He made a whole yontiv and put judgment in there just as a pretext to spend time with you. What greater simcha is there than that? This is the essence of Rosh Hashanah. What should we do when we are before our Father? What should we do when we're there? So number one, first thing is use your imagination and create for yourself a vision for the year ahead. Don't live life by the seat of your pants. 
go ahead and make a vision. What do you want? Tavshin Pei Gimel. 5783 is a brand new year filled with untold possibilities, unlimited, unlimited possibilities. What do we want to do with it? See, you know what the greatest tragedy is? The greatest tragedy, when is Rosh Hashanah? Monday? Sunday. Monday. Sunday night, Monday, right? See so you know what the greatest tragedy is? I come Monday, Tuesday, and you know what happens to like 90% of the population Wednesday morning? What happens? Go to work. Go to work. Okay, you, you got to go to work. Is anything different? No, b- back to work. B- b- back to work. And again, after they, all the um, Tovim fell out on weekdays this year, so uh, back to work. And it's like nothing ever happened. It's like nothing ever happened. Because if you don't create a vision, a vision, a guiding light for the year ahead, Yantiv comes, Yantiv goes, and I remain unchanged. Number two, remove the blockage. Like the Bashan Tavakodesh says, like Rabbi Nachman says, we all have blockages in life negative character traits, negative behaviors, toxic relationships, gaiva, whatever, whatever your blockage is. Find the courage to remove your blockage. Yeah, we go accustomed or we go used to or attached to our blockages. Find the courage to identify it. Find the courage to, rem- to remove it. I'll say, how do I remove it? Remember the piece of timeless Maimonian wisdom, which is stop it. Could be a bumper sticker. Stop it. That's it. The key to success in overcoming most life adversity is those two words. Stop it. And Avodah number three, if you broke it, you can fix it. You can only, only you can only break something that's yours. This is important in our relationships. Sometimes people we love or people we don't love hurt us very badly and we feel broken. No one could break you. No one outside of you can break you. Only you can break you. And if I have broken myself, the same way that I have the ability to break myself, I have the ability to make myself whole. Rosh Hashanah is the day to identify where and how I'm broken and ultimately devise a plan to make myself whole once again. So we should be Zohar Mir Tashem. We have a few more days. And by the way, I want to point out one last thing. You don't have to wait till Rosh Hashanah to stay. You don't have to put this away until Monday morning. Right? In other words, we don't have to wait until Rosh Hashanah to begin doing these things. I could begin thinking about a life plan. I could begin removing the blockages. I could begin fixing that which is brought. I could begin now. I could begin now. I could start now. And on Rosh Hashanah, I could rejoice in the accomplishments I've had over the last few days and I make a plan going forward. But this is our beautiful opportunity we have on Rosh Hashanah. A beautiful day where our Father is so tired of missing us. So tired of just like ships, or the ships passing in the night, right? We just never connect, so tired of it. And so he summons us, not out of anger, not out of this, bless you, not out of displeasure, but out of profound love. May we privilege Demir Hashem to maximize these days, to allow our Father to have nachas by just seeing us, to fall back in love with the Ribbono Shalom. Because that's the goal. The goal is to write our own personal love story with the Ribbon Shalom. That's Shira Shirim. It's a love story between the Jew and between HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm in love with my father and he's in love with me. Just sometimes, even two people, when they love each other, when they're too far apart for too long, the love wanes. It's still there. It's still there. But it just needs a spark to ignite it. Rosh Hashanah is that spark. Maybe Zohar Hashem to fan that spark into a raging flame. 
to do the beautiful avodas that we have the opportunity to do on Rosh Hashanah, to rekindle our relationship, to do all of these necessary steps. And Amir HaShem and Natschos, may the coming year, first of all, may we all be zocha, to exil v'chasimatova. May the coming year bring us bracha and mazel and shalom and simcha. We all need our own individual brachas. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He always hears all of our tfilos. But halavai, this should be the year, it's always the year, where He gives us each and everything that we need. And maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us a little extra. Maybe even stuff that we don't need, but we want. Because every parent sees things that their kid wants. Parent knows, you do not need that. But if it's going to make you happy, then why not? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, be our father. There are things I don't need. But put a smile on my face. You always do. Continue to do so. And most of all, we should be zocha. That in the schus of maximizing our time with the Rebbe Noshan, that this will be the year with a long-awaited bracha. The bracha for which we have longed and waited for over 2,000 years. The bracha of Geula. The bracha of the Beis Hamikdash. The bracha of Mashiach. Should Emir Tzashem actualize this year. Have a good night. See you next time. See you next time.